My guest says that God's passion is not to just speak to only prophets. He so desperately wants to talk to you too, and daily. Call now and get Tommy Uriame's must-read book, Eat, Sleep, Prophesy, Repeat, and his anointed three-part audio CD teaching set, Live Prophetically. This is an exclusive offer for our rich supernatural audience. Yours for a donation of $35. Shipping and handling is included. But you will receive Tommy Uriame's must-read book, Eat, Sleep, Prophesy, Repeat. Tommy shares personal revelations and intimate stories designed to help you grow in your ability to hear the voice of God both for yourself and for others. Through this powerful book, you will understand the answers to deeply held questions surrounding the prophetic. Learn what the voice of God sounds like. Understand how to separate God's voice from your own. Find out how to grow in your ability to hear God's voice. Understand the various ways God speaks. Learn how to minister prophetically to others. Find out how to help restore the prophetic back into your local church. The feedback is always Thank you for making the prophetic simple. Thank you for making it applicable. Bringing people to the Lord through hearing the voice of God. You will also receive Tommy Oriami's anointed three-part audio CD teaching, Living Prophetically. In his three-part audio CD teaching set, you will learn how to pray and live prophetically. Understand how to wage godly warfare every time it is needed. Discover the secrets of how prophets pray. Begin to discern God's voice along with the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. Understand how to seek out the Lord and find Him. On the third CD, Tommy Oriami shares the prophetic word God gave him concerning the next nine years. God gave me a prophecy of events that will happen over a period of nine years. Some of them have already come to pass. See what's next. Don't miss out on getting Tommy Oriami's must-read book, Eat, Sleep, Prophesy, Repeat, and his anointed three-part audio CD teaching set, Live Prophetically. But I tell you, the greatest move of God... The Lord told me when I was 27 would not be our generation, but would be the generation behind us, that they would do signs, they would do wonders, they would change nations, they would change, I tell you, they will change society, and society will not change them. And there is a movement. Reformation coming and the power of God is going to hit the low places. Justice movements are going to spring up all over the world and make the low places high. Righteousness is going to move into corrupt governments. Brazil, Brazil, get ready. Brazil, Brazil, a wave of my holiness and a wave of my power. Reformation power is coming to the nation of Brazil. Ministry. Touch this whole ministry. Touch them all.
Get this right here. This is what America needs. You see that? You see that right there? Now put the camera on me. Stop with your dead services. We don't want them. Keep them. Wait a minute. Did you just click on an infomercial endorsing modern day prophecy? Let me assure you, you did not. Actually, the first clip came from a recent Sid Roth episode offering this product from the said professing prophet. And the other two clips came from services where manifestations took place. The first was Stacey Campbell. She is a self-professing prophet known for her head shaking, violent head shaking, by the way, while releasing prophetic words. And that word was uh, released eight years ago uh, before James and Carol are not. The second was Charlie Shamp, and for those who may or may not be familiar with Charlie Shamp, Charlie is a Christian mystic who touts himself as a prophet. He is very well-known, very popular in these movements, and he likes to put out a lot of uh, prophetic words about foretelling in different uh, places, and he likes to let everybody know when he thinks he's correct. The man uh, Charlie pointed to in the video was shaking violently on the ground. And just as a heads up, I do post these videos the week later, and it has the video clips in them. So you can watch those, and sometimes I add some bonus clips, too, on my YouTube channel. But this is what Charlie says America needs, is this man shaking violently on the floor and what defines a live church service. What does all of this have to do with a second century former cult priest turned Christian who held to primary doctrine but quickly brought in what he called new prophecy, which was claimed to be equivalent to or even superseding scripture? Are there similarities to those practices and others throughout the centuries? Are there prophets today? We will discuss all this as we delve into Montanism and the echoes of the past that seem to never die. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Six Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Six Scribe. Somewhere between 135 to 170 AD, a man named Montanus arrived on the scene in Phrygia. And according to Britannica, Montanus, a recent Christian convert, appeared at Artabal, a small village in Phrygia, about 156. He fell into a trance and began to prophesy under the influence of the Spirit. He was soon joined by two young women, Priscilla and Maximilla, who also began to prophesy. This movement spread throughout Asia Minor. Inscriptions have indicated that a number of towns were almost completely converted to Montanism. After the first enthusiasm had waned, however, the followers of Montanus were found predominantly in the rural districts. Britannica goes on to say the essential principle of Montanism was that the paraclete, the spirit of truth, whom Jesus had promised in the gospel according to John, was manifesting himself to the world through Montanus and the prophets and prophetesses associated with him. Another important aspect of Montanism was the expectation of the second coming of Christ, which was believed to be imminent. This belief was not confined to Montanists, but with them it took a special form that gave their activities the character of a popular revival. They believed the heavenly Jerusalem was soon to descend on the earth in a plain between the two villages of Papuza and Timion in Phrygia. The prophets and many followers went there, and many Christian communities were almost abandoned. The Montanism movement also known as New Prophecy, took place shortly after the death of John the Revelator, according to sources, with a diminishing of the spiritual gifts. 
And to be fair, writings from him were destroyed. And so what is known about Montanus is through the writings of opponents, with the exception of one or two that were sympathizers, if you will, or endorsing and supporting the the Montanus movement. According to Eusebius of Caesarea, the new prophecy as described by Eusebius departed from church tradition. And he, Montanus, became beside himself, and being suddenly in a sort of frenzy and ecstasy, he raved, and began to babble and utter strange things, prophesying in a manner contrary to the constant custom of the church, handed down by tradition from the beginning. According to opponents, the Montanus prophets did not speak as messengers of God, but believed they became fully possessed by God and spoke as God. A prophetic utterance by Montanus described this possessed state. Lo, the man is as a liar, and I fly over him as a pick. The man sleepeth while I watch. Thus the Phrygians were seen as false prophets because they acted irrationally and were not in control of their senses. Concerns arose from statements made by Montanus, Priscilla, and Maximilla, and these concerns were shared by some that also wrote during this time. For example, Epiphanius shared this quote by Montanus, I am the Lord God Almighty who have descended in a man, and again it is neither an angel nor an elder that has come, but I the Lord God. Maximilla was recorded as saying, I am the word and the spirit and the power. Now, again, to be fair, there is a notation in some of the literature that you'll find about this referencing it, that when comparing Montanus statements to other both Christian and pagans known for ecstatic speech, some concluded this to be analogous of the passive use of an instrument. While some believe that he was actually saying that he was the paraclete or the Holy Spirit, there were other people that were stating this was a passive way of him saying, kind of like what the modern day prophets do today is that they say, thus says the Lord, or they say, I hear the Holy Spirit saying, or the Lord is saying, or God is saying, and using it in such a way that the person is the instrument that God is speaking through, that they are not claiming to be God. It's kind of a slippery slope because when you're speaking on behalf of God, then that is a serious matter. Having said that, the issues that they bring up about him being a passive instrument, still there's some concerns in some things archaeologically that have been found. For example, there's an inscription that was discovered uh, in the years past in a place called Numidia. And over the door, it uh, had the inscription stating this, Flavius, grandsire of the household, in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Lord Montanus, what he promised, he performed. There's also notes in the 4th century there were reports of baptisms in the name of Priscilla or Montanus. And so we don't know precisely what was going on there and if these were actually factual things that took place. But nevertheless, these are all concerns, legitimate concerns to bring up. When you're talking about someone that's bringing in a new movement, they are agreeing with and complying with the primary doctrine of of biblical Christianity. But then they begin to, to say, well, I have the Holy Spirit and he is delivering new revelation through me, through these prophets and prophetesses. And you too can do this. He's giving us new revelation that is equivalent to what the apostles wrote, to what Jesus Christ said, to uh, to uh, the apostle Paul. He is it is equivalent to everything in this in this capacity, and so that's a heavy claim to make. And this brought great problems and great division during that time, and great concerns. One last thing: there was one unnamed writer that apparently had a face to face confrontation that is also recorded. Quote: A recent convert named Montanus, in his unbridled ambition to reach the top, laid himself open to the ad 
adversary, was filled with spiritual excitement and suddenly fell into a kind of a trance and unnatural ecstasy. He raved and began to chatter and talk nonsense, prophesying in a way that conflicted with the practice of the church, handed down generation by generation from the beginning. Of those who listened at that time to his sham utterances, some were annoyed, regarding him as possessed, a demoniac in the grip of a spirit of error. So we have these different accounts, and and I'm sure there's more that we could share that you see throughout history. And that there was also um, a reference by the name of Anonymous. So we don't know who that was, but Eusebius was one of the main ones that wrote in opposition to Montanism, and Anonymous was as well. And you may have caught Montanus referring to himself as the paraclete or the Holy Spirit when I mentioned a little bit ago about some of the quotes that he was saying. Along with this claim of new revelation from the Holy Spirit, there was the issue of placing women in head leadership roles of the church. And I've talked a little bit about this a few weeks ago, about women being in the actual pulpit and they're holding a leadership role as pastor, prophet, apostle. They are leading men and women in corporate gatherings, and they're holding a place of authority when they're teaching and preaching the word. You can check out that episode. But this also was going on in in the time of Montanism in this uh, late first to mid-second century. This was going on, and it continued to go on, by the way, and I'm going to argue that Montanism is still going on today in, in some way, shape, or fashion. Along with the claims of this new revelation, they also had women in head leadership. So Priscilla and Maximilla were two of the main prophets, prophetesses in this movement. And so they were heralded as leaders in this movement. If I remember correctly, Maximilla was even recorded as saying that there would be no further prophecy after her death, except the end of the world was to come. I can't remember which lady it was. It may have been Priscilla, but one of them... Uh, There was some uh, suspicious circumstances surrounding their death, and some have attributed that to a a failed prophecy, but failed prophecy was a hallmark of this movement as well. A lot of things that were being said that were very vague and general in the beginning, and then they began to become fanatical. According to another resource I have, it says, quote, its defining characteristics were a belief in continuing revelation, a refusal to compromise with worldly standards, its anti-hierarchical stance against appointed bishops leading the church, and the practice of ecstatic worship in which its prophets channeled messages from God. The Montanists believed that their founder, together with the two prophetesses, Priscilla and Maximilla, were in special and direct communion with the Holy Spirit in a ministry intended to purify the church in preparation for the coming of Jesus Christ. Montanist leaders channeled revelations from the Holy Spirit urging moral rigor, especially chastity, fasting, and willingness to face martyrdom rather than flee or pay bribes. Remarriage was strictly forbidden, and there is some indication that serious sins such as murder, honoring Roman deities, adultery, and refusing to confess one's Christianity may have been considered unforgivable once a believer had been baptized. Ascetic impulses such as those that animated Montanism were later accommodated by the church through the institution of monasticism, which is that's the the monks lifestyle. Montanist followers claimed they received the prophetic gift from the prophets of Quadratus and Amia of Philadelphia, figures believed to have been part of a line of prophetic succession stretching all the way back to Agabus, first century AD, and to the daughters of Philip the Evangelist. In time, the new prophecy spread from Montanus's native Phrygia across the Christian world to Africa and to Gaul. So again, this had more of a far reach. It was not localized to Phrygia. It was widespread and began to to gain more momentum and more popularity among people. As I mentioned before, they spoke in ecstatic utterances, trance-like states, and they 
urged their followers to fast and pray so that they might also have these personal revelations. And I found this interesting in another source. It said, quote, a criticism of Montanism was that its followers claimed their revelation received directly from the Holy Spirit could supersede the authority of Jesus or Paul the Apostle or anyone else. In addition to asceticism and ecstatic worship, which we'll talk again about that in just a moment and elaborate on, there were other issues of concern in Montanism, such as their teaching of the New Jerusalem being in Phrygia near Papuza. I know I mentioned that earlier, but I wanted to mention that again, because there were even people talking about how they had seen visions of a floating city over that area and in some of the literature. And so, again, this was something visions, dreams, the prophecies, people focused on these things, and they put a lot of hope in these things. Followers also called themselves spiritual people, in contrast to those who oppose them who they termed carnal or natural people. If some of this is starting to sound a little familiar to what goes on today, again, I think that some of this does harken back to Montanism. Montanists also believed that apostles and prophets had the power to forgive sins and that martyrs and confessors also had this power. They encouraged seeking out martyrdom. They encouraged this behavior. It wasn't just them saying, this is going to happen to you because you're ministering the gospel. They actively wanted people to do this, to seek out being a martyr. And when I say new prophecy, this was the name that was provided by the leaders. This prophecy had great authority and was not like biblical prophecy in its delivery, as we've already heard a couple, Eusebius and another mentioned, that it was not like what was the tradition of biblical prophecy. Rather, ecstatic behavior was performed in the process, as mentioned earlier. And the meetings involved having uh, dimly lit rooms and ornate appearances and theatrics. There is even some that I came across that mentioned about how um, Montanus would wear, uh, he would adorn himself in certain types of robes or clothing, and he would also adorn makeup. And it is important to note Montanus is said to have formerly been a priest in the cult Cabelli which was worshiping the Anatolian mother goddess, and this sect was known for similar styles of worship, as well as frenzies and ecstatic behavior, asceticism, and the honor of women. In fact, the priests were actually eunuchs. And so um, there's descriptions that when you read about it of some of the rituals that they would do um, to worship the, the mother goddess and that what they would, I won't get into that because it's pretty, it can be kind of graphic, but what they would do in the middle of these, these rituals in uh, emasculating themselves. Let's just put it that way. Now, as we go on, we're going to see um, a little bit more detail I want to share with you. And I'm sharing all of this, and then we're going to get to some clips. So just hang tight with me. But all of this is very important. I want you to consider this today. You may not be familiar with Montanism. I was not familiar with Montanism until I started doing some research about it and had heard just a teeny tiny bit about it. But after I looked into it, there were so many things, and then I had other individuals that have done far more research than I have that filled me in on some more details, led me down another trail to look into some things historically. And I think what you're going to find is that there are um, there are residual things of this even today, and we will get to that. I'm going to share some several clips with you in a bit. Some of them are going to be disturbing, um, whether you're listening to the podcast or you're watching the videos. I just want you to be prepared. Some people listening to this are very well versed in these things, and it's not going to bother them, or it may it may bother them because of being in the movement before. But if you've never been you've never been a part of some of services like this and seen some of these activities or are familiar with this, it can get quite disturbing. 
disturbing. So I just want to just, I, I want to give you a heads up. Whether you've been in these movements or not, it's important that we as believers know what's going on because this stuff is not on the fringe. This is mainstream in, the, in this. Regardless of what anybody wants to tell you, this stuff is... Uh, it's spreading, it's going into other denominations and, and things. And so we need to be aware of what's going on. Now, according to this particular source, I'm uh, from originalchristianity.com. I wanted to share a little bit off of their website. There was one particular paragraph they had I thought was worth reading. It said, quote, the movement of Montanism was exciting and received by a lot of people. Some participants were described as boiling over with the spirit, and the movement spurred a yearning for martyrdom. It lasted from the first until the sixth century. Friend describes the movement as having a, quote, extraordinary tenacity, end quote, despite the failure of the prophecies to materialize. While their views were extreme and extra-biblical, Montanism represented that a significant number of the believers in the first century after Christ did not believe that the power of the Holy Spirit had ended. However, the failure of their prophecies to materialize worked to dissuade some against the continuing presence and power of the Spirit to manifest in their time. Whether you believe in the continuation of the gifts or you're a cessationist or whatever your belief or you're in the middle and you're just not sure about what to believe about them, regardless of where you are in that I would just encourage you to to understand that the Holy Spirit is still working in believers today and that we we don't have to have these ecstatic things, these fanatical things, these um, these extremes going on and these wild manifestations to prove that the Holy Spirit is in operation. Based on what Scripture tells us in accordance with Scripture of how, how a believer is to conduct themselves and to be led by the Spirit, we can see that the Holy Spirit is very much active in the life of believers today. Now, this movement did have advocates such as Tertullian. He was a very well-respected biblical scholar, and he defended the movement. He even converted to Montanism in 206 AD, but he did not adhere to all of the beliefs according to what I could find in the literature. The movement was declared heretical in the second century by the church at that time, and it continued on, though for several centuries, and various reports state when it died, or so is said. It is also worth noting that this movement played an important role toward the recognition of a closed canon of Scripture. Because of the time frame that it took place, from what I've been told and what I've read, and I wanted to share from a book that I have called The Origin of the Bible. I found on page 75 that it briefly mentioned Montanism um, under the, the chapter, The Canon of the New Testament. So under the subheading Principles and Factors Determining the Canon, it had this to say regarding Montanism and this subject of the canon. It says, in a sense, the movement of Montanus, which was declared heretical by the church of his day, was an impetus toward the recognition of a closed canon of the written word of God. He taught that the prophetic gift was permanently granted to the church and that he himself was a prophet. The pressure to deal with Montanism, therefore, intensified the search for a basic authority, and apostolic authorship or approval became recognized as the only sure standard for identifying God's revelation. Even within the scripture record, first century prophets were subordinate and subject to apostolic authority, and you can look at 1 Corinthians 14, 29 through 30 in that, and Ephesians 4, 11 for that as well. Now, before we get to some potential examples um, of modern-day Montanism and some thoughts in scripture for consideration, this this seems important to note here, but one of my friends that I was talking to yesterday evening actually 
pointed me in the direction of this. And so I did a little bit more research and actually found a good little source to sum it up. So on this website, it's called talentshare.org, and it's done by uh, it's done with biblical and apologetic studies. The title of this article is called Revival of the New Prophetic Movement, the First Wave, the Classical Pentecostals. In the British movements, there were three movements in England that formed the basis of the new revival of the Montanism. This per- individual says that it was the Methodist slash holiness movement, the Catholic apostolic movement of Edward Irving, and the British Keswick higher life movement. Now, I'm not going to go in great detail. There is a good little amount I'm going to read about Edward Irving, I think would be valid for you to hear, especially those of us that have come out of the NAR and have this, some of this stuff is going to be very familiar. So I want you to stick tight with me again. It's, it is good stuff. This article talked about John Wesley and the, the Methodist holiness movement. And if you've read anything about John Wesley, he's, he's a well-respected um, Bible scholar as well from the 1700s. He was an Anglican cleric and theologian, and he had a brother, Charles, they are, and, uh, and they also had a fellow cleric, George Whitfield, and they founded Methodism. And so um, a lot of hymns come from Wesley's, and so they're very well respected. There is some also some uh, literature that's that talks about that Wesley himself experienced modern experiences that Wesley himself experienced things such as speaking in tongues, slain in the spirit and holy laughter, along with uh, a myriad of signs and wonders and healing and miracles. Now I'm not going to, again, not go into detail about all that here, but one thing I did want to say about Jonathan Wesley is that there was a quote that was found in one of his journal entries for August 15th, 1750. And Jonathan Wesley wrote, I was fully convinced of what I had long suspected that the Montanists in the second and third centuries were real scriptural Christians, and that the grand reason why the miraculous gifts were soon withdrawn was not only that faith and holiness were well nigh lost, but that dry, formal, orthodox men began even then to ridicule whatever gifts they had not themselves, and to decry them all as either madness or imposture. So I wanted just to share that here, not to degrade John Wesley in any way, but just to kind of share with you some of the historical background you may not be familiar with. Now, Edward Irving, I found this very interesting about Edward Irving. Edward Irving and the Catholic Apostolic Movement. This article says, In the Western world, Pentecostalism generally traces its roots back to the teachings and experiences of Edward Irving, a Presbyterian minister in Scotland in the early 1800s. After studying the book of Acts, he began to teach that what the early church experienced was to be normative for the church in his day. He was excommunicated from the Presbyterian church over his heretical Christological doctrines. On March 28, 1830, a Miss Mary Campbell began to speak in other tongues and claimed she was divinely healed. The following year, on October 30, 1831, her sister, Mrs. Cardell, also began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Edward Irving formed his own church called the Catholic Apostolic Church, and he soon ordained his first 12 apostles on November 7, 1832. He also expounded a detailed teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and gave the whole of his theology and immediacy by his expectation of the imminent second coming of the Lord. Here is how his friend Thomas Thomas Carlyle described his friend to his mother soon after going to one of his services. Thomas said, Suddenly, during regular service and with Irving's encouragement, hysterical women and crack-brained enthusiasts were uttering confused stuff, mostly ohs and ahs and absurd interjections about the body of Jesus. They also pretend to work miracles and have raised more than one weak bedrid woman and cured people of nerves or, as they themselves say, cast devils out of them. Carlyle added that poor Irving boasted that it made his church the peculiarly blessed of heaven. 
1832, those followers remaining from his former congregation created the Holy Catholic Apostolic or Irvingite Church in Newman Street, and the following year, the Church of Scotland excommunicated him. He died shortly thereafter, but the movement he started became known as Irvingites. Edward Irving is to be considered among the first true Neo-Montanists due to his beliefs in the restoration of the charismatic gifts, including prophecy, his unwillingness to submit to recognized church authority regarding his beliefs, his approval of women in ministry. Coincidentally, women were the first to prophesy in his movement. His belief in the also immediate return of Christ, a strong eschatological emphasis. Irving led the first attempt at charismatic renewal in his Regent Square Presbyterian Church in 1831. Although tongues and prophecies were experienced in his church, Irving was not successful in his quest for a restoration of New Testament Christianity. In the end, the Catholic Apostolic Church, which was founded by his followers, attempted to restore the fivefold ministries of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, in addition to the charisms. While his movement failed in England, Irving did succeed in pointing to glossolalia as the standing sign of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, a major facet in the future theology of the Pentecostals. Now, it is important to take note of this history. And as we look today to some examples that may seem extreme or on the fringe, as I said, these types of behaviors and activities, I'm going to say again, are finding their way into many areas and denominations of the church, and they are not on the fringe. The question should always be, when we hear things like we're getting ready to hear or we see them, is this biblical? And does this glorify Christ? Or is this false teaching to mark and avoid? These are questions that we should be asking, and if the leaders in these churches and such are not willing to address these matters, and they're not willing to face them head on and to be tested according to Scripture, they need to be marked and avoided, because true biblical leaders are going to want the congregants, they're going to want other people to bring concerns and to have these things tested and questioned against Scripture. There is certainly, it seems, too many to pull from and impossible to share all today as I begin to share these clips with you. However, these seem to echo Montanistic sentiments of prophecy, ecstatic behavior, and women leading services. You may already be familiar with this clip from Jessa Bentley, Todd Bentley's second wife. And I'm going to have my wife, Jessa, share a dream that she had. And I'm going to tell you what God's been speaking to me about. And I believe it's the key that's going to release the greatest miracle anointing for the church. Jessa. So a couple of nights ago, I had a dream where Oral Roberts was speaking to Todd. They were, I, I didn't understand what they're saying, but I remember they were talking. And then he looked over and he saw me and he stopped. And he ran over to me and he put his hands over my eyes and he said, what do you see? And so I looked and I didn't see anything at first. And then all of a sudden I saw this elephant racing across my eye. And Oral Roberts said, he put his, his hands over my eyes and said, what do you see? And I said, I didn't see anything at first. And then all of a sudden I saw this elephant racing across my eyes. And it was, it was dancing. It was going crazy. It was just, it had this big smile and it was just, just going crazy. And I said, it's a, a wild elephant. I see a wild elephant. And then I said, what's, what's with the elephant? He said, exactly. What is it with the elephant? I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to where she actually starts what many people would say manifesting. She's going to be shaking her head violently, and you'll see that when this is eventually posted on YouTube. But she's going to be shaking her head violently while she's talking, kind of similar to what Stacey Campbell was doing. Discerning the times and season by getting a hope from God. Um, whew, getting... 
light from God. <laughs> to be able to see, to discern the times and the seasons that's ahead of you. And the thing about the elephant, it wasn't just an ordinary elephant, it was a wild elephant, a wild elephant. It was radical, 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 radical. And the elephant means a great impact. You also may have heard of the infamous service at Bethel where Heidi Baker, who's known for being um, a minister in Mozambique, she is praying over a young man in this service in Bethel. This is a very well-circulated clip, but it's worth sharing here because I do think that it kind of echoes some of this with the ecstatic uh, manifestations and such and, and what's going on and the prophetic going on that's said to be prophetic. But at any rate, this is the clip. That of Heidi Baker praying over a young man and what happens to him in the process. Most impartation that you've ever believed for right now, you're going to impart to each other. So you're going to take it, you're going to put it on somebody else's head, a watch, and then say, more Lord. Whoa! More Lord. Everybody, place, place that anointing that crown, that gift upon someone else's head. <laughs> Keep praying. Every single one of you, impartation, legacy, 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 legacy. Increase your glory. More, Lord. Try it again, try it again, try it again, try it again. More Lord! Fire! There's fire! Place it on their heads! Find somebody! I think he's got it! Shake a baba! Fire! Place it on another one's head! Fire! Legacy! Legacy! So if you've never seen this clip before, I, I just want to give you an insight of what's going on. So she's got, there are a bunch of people laying in the floor. They're sitting in the floor and she's telling them to act like they're putting a crown on somebody's head, as you heard her say. Well, what you don't see on the podcast is that she goes over to this young man and she starts praying for him. And you can hear him on here. He is screaming, but he's laying on the ground writhing in like he's in agony, like he is writhing and rolling around the floor and screaming. And she's saying, fire, fire, fire. I think he's got it. And continuing to say these words over and over again, legacy, 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 like it's some sort of mantra. But this is what's going on in this service. And then you see people starting to slowly walk up. It may be security or um, ushers and such that, that are going to try to address the situation with this young man. It's, it's really sad when you actually see it. There's that. And perhaps you heard the clip from several years ago where Chris Valentin shared the revelation of the purple bubble. I see this purple bubble that I have prophesied over people that there's this purple bubble. It kind of looks like an egg that God puts people in, and it's like impervious to biological things like sickness and disease, and it's impervious to bullets and bombs and, and uh, things like uh, abductions, murders, and uh, it's impervious to just it's like it has its own atmosphere so i just i don't know what that is but i just released this purple bubble we just released this purple bubble over us 
Yes. If anyone's dealing with any kind of deep insecurity, you're afraid your children are going to be kidnapped or something's going to happen to you, just that kind of stuff. Do you know what's sad is that there are people that have had family members that have suffered these types of tragedies. It's really silly and ridiculous to say such things like this. Not to mention the fact he, he mentions at some point, you know, I think this might have been kind of similar to the hedge of protection that was around Job. Job had a purple bubble around him and God what God do bust the bubble, like burst his bubble. And then think about the apostles. We'll get, we'll get to this also a little bit later. Think about the apostles. Were they not privileged enough to have a purple bubble around them? They just didn't know how to pray and prophesy or, or call in the purple bubble that he's releasing the purple bubble as if he had the ability. To, I mean, this, this stuff is silly. I mean, it's just silly. And then it's claiming an amount of authority because you're saying that this is a revelation from God. And this is not biblical behavior. I hope that you can see this right here. Now, these next few clips you may not be familiar with. So some of the ones we just heard, many people are familiar with those. They're older clips. They've been circulating for quite some time. These next several you may may or may not be familiar with. And they are equally disturbing. But I thought that they were worth sharing. And one of them is a personal one that I'm going to share. So the first one, you may or may not be familiar with these, but this kind of goes along with the NAR. This is a, a husband and wife couple. It's um, Apostle Jonathan Ferguson and Prophetess Amanda Ferguson. They oversee a church in Texas, I believe. It's called Revival Church. But there um, are two clips. I'm going to play two different services where Amanda Ferguson, who's not a prophetess, is releasing angels to people. And I want you to hear how she talks in this and just the things that are said and you judge for yourself if this lines up with scripture and if this is hearkening back to the montanistic type of behavior and one thing that you again will not be able to see on this episode but you will on video later on youtube is the reaction of the people this is why i share this one because there is such ecstatic frenzied behavior in this that is not the fruit of the Spirit. This is not self-control that the Holy Spirit brings. I want you to please note that. Not only what she's saying, but the actions of people in these services and what they're doing. They are not receiving the truth of the Word of God and growing in biblical discipleship as they should. Angels just came in here. Deliverance angels just came in here. Angels are prosperity. I'm talking about the full measure of God's glory is about to enter into this room right now. The full measure of God's glory is about to inhabit this place. I'm talking about some of you are about to scream and wail and flip and run and scream. There's a pool right here. Somebody jump in. I said there's a pool right there. There are people rolling around on the floor and flopping around like fish and, and writhing and doing all kinds of stuff where she's saying there's a pool in the floor. Again, test this against scripture. in the floor they're in a pool there was a time in John, John where it says the, the angel will come and trouble the water and that scripture was just one angel but there's at least 20 angels right there in this pool that are troubling the waters and everything oh my god I wish you all could see them because I've never seen this before but I see angels striking the pool and as they strike like flames of fire I strike in the pool I said 
flames of fire are shook in the and up my cup. And I'm hearing lightnings and thunders. I want to ask a serious question, and and it's not to belittle people in any way because again I used to be in services that were wild and and high, and I was in the hyper charismatic church for a long time many years so what I'm about to say is it works both ways and it was something I had to ask myself what kind of fruit is coming out of this type of manifestation and this type of encounter if your life is not changed radically by by God and by the power of the gospel in and of itself, because we know the power of the gospel is what saves people. There's power in the in the word of God in his gospel to save people. That is miraculous in and of itself. But when you have manifestations going on in these services like this, and if, if it's if it's the same people that are time and time again continuing to have these manifestations and nothing in their life is changing, should that not be a warning bell that goes off or a red flag that goes up in that person going, what's going on here? Is this really the move of the Holy Spirit or is this my flesh and uh, vain imaginations or is this is this truly demonic activity maybe that's going on? That there are influences here that are not of God, and this is a strong delusion. These are things that must be asked. And again, I say that in love and great concern for people, having been part of this movement in the past. Please test these things. Please, And above all things, please get away from this stuff. I mean, not to only just test it, but you're going to find it won't match up to Scripture. Get out of it. Run from it. Please, I am begging you and telling you, run from this stuff. There's nothing good that comes out of this. Nothing. I mean, people are saying that this this extreme fanatical type of things, the things that are going on, especially in this specific example I'm sharing with you, this is not godly stuff. And I'm just going to say it. I'm, I'm going to tell you to test it. I'm telling you right now, if you see if you see this video and even just hearing it, this is not biblical behavior, let alone let's talk about the fact of her standing in a place of authority in that church, what she's doing from the in a corporate church gathering and what she's doing. It's rebellion against God. In addition to that, the things that are going on here, this is not self-control. The Holy Spirit is not authoring this at all. I would be very confident of that, and I would I would sound a loud alarm to get away from this stuff as fast as you can if you are involved in any of this or you know someone who is. Share this with them and get them to evaluate it and see what they say about it. And hopefully that the Holy Spirit will open their ears and point them back to the Word of God to show them what the power of the Holy Spirit truly looks like. The angels on this side are angels of deliverance. Not just for you, but a special mantle to minister deliverance. Take that mantle to deliverance. Laura, run up here. Come on, run, 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 run. Go, go, go. Hurry. All right, these angels are now released. So that's the first clip. The second one I want to show you is just disturbing. Um, it's another clip of her in a different service talking about releasing angels, which nobody, no human being has the power to do that. We do not have the authority to do that. But she's going to say that she's doing it. So here we go. Another service. And again, more hype, more sensationalism, emotionalism, more build, more um, ecstatic behavior, 
uh, more frenzied behavior, chaos, really. Here you go. 15 angels to weaponize 15 people. Y'all crazy. Hold on. Jesus. God, can I ask for some more uh, angels or something? Y'all some crazy folks. Now, oh God, are my guys ready? Oh Jesus. So, I'm going to let my angels do what they do. Her angels? That's an interesting statement right there. But it's 15 angels with prayer assignments. So let me move out the way before y'all knock me over. Somebody move this stuff out of the way. Because in a second, 15 crazy people are about to run up here now. And I'm not going to touch you because, you know, I, I don't really do anything. But for these 15 people, God says the things that you are about to shift in this nation... Let me just, let me move out of the way. You, you gonna keep me safe, right? Because they gonna try to trample me. All right, here we go. Jeez, I feel sorry for those in the back because y'all, y'all know the craziest people up here, right? All right, here we go. I didn't say go yet now. Yo, listen, listen. Some of y'all got one foot. Uh. Now, don't play with this because these are very special angels. So when I count to three, oh, let me move out of the way. I keep forgetting these folks crazy because these my warriors. When I... You know what's interesting? Something just hit me when I'm listening to this. It's like, I've heard Catherine Crick do this for deliverance. You know, the count of three, this demon has to come out one, two, three, and then they start coughing. It's like, it's as if, for example, in that instance, like the demons are being treated like children. I mean, I talk to my, my two-year-old son like that at some point. If he's not listening to me, then for him, it works to count. And he knows when it gets to counting that it that that's not a good thing that there's discipline that will come from that we don't see that pattern in scripture with well if demon if you don't come out that you're going to come out the count of three one two three and you have to start all these manifestations and it's almost as if amanda ferguson's doing the same thing it's like these angels only can respond and do anything when she gets to three and counts. And then she's just drawing this out and building up the momentum and building up the climax here and building up the excitement. And it's all theatrics. It's all theatrics. And you have people there, poor souls that are biblically illiterate, and they are lost in this movement, in this church, and they're not being fed. And if there's any sheep, true sheep there, they're being spiritually starved because they're being given spiritual junk food like this. This example, and I'm sorry, this, this stuff makes me angry now coming out of it because there's a righteous indignation that comes of knowing and the sadness of this at the same time of seeing people that are just being enchanted by these things that are going on. And it's just, it's gross error and it's bringing reproach on the name of Christ and it's not honoring Christ, and it's leading people into greater and greater error and further away from God. This is not bringing people closer to God. This is bringing them further away. And then they're trusting in this man or woman to usher them in to the the angelic uh, movement and to the angelic encounter until they can get the next fix that comes along. It, it just makes me sad. I'm sorry to interrupt this and, and to go on this little soapbox thing, but it just, it just makes me sad hearing it. Oh, let me move out of the way. I keep forgetting these folks crazy. Because these my warriors. When I count to three, 15 of y'all 
run on the stage. I didn't count yet, so. One, let me just look and see who's crazy. Woo! Yeah. I didn't, yeah. I didn't say three. I'm just trying to see if y'all ready. Woo! Oh, these are big angels. Let me, one, two, three. Come on. I'll stop it there. She keeps going and saying that then there's angels that go to the back of the room and that there's that people are getting touched. So now it's not just on the stage like it was before to build up all this momentum and excitement and to make those 15 people special. And I can assure you from the video, there's more than 15 people and they're falling all over themselves in a pile on the stage. They rush the, the platform where she is and fall and start shaking and jerking all over and doing all kinds of manifestations. Oh, it's very sad. The next clip I'm going to show show you we're going to get through this the next clip I'm going to show you is from her husband who calls himself an apostle Jonathan Ferguson I'm not going to share the whole thing it's very long there's numerous things that he's done that are very questionable but one of the things that he did several months ago was he actually prophesied over Marcus Rogers now if you're familiar with Marcus Rogers Marcus Rogers is a self-professing prophet he also says he's a pastor he started a church in Chicago and he has some questionable doctrine as well that he seems to um, hold to that almost that it seems like he's alluding to modalism when he talks about God. He's said that Jesus was a thought. There's lots of different things that he said that are really problematic and they're not aligning with proper biblical understanding and doctrine. But uh, he ministered at Jonathan Ferguson's church. And um, here we go. He was going to come to him as a lion of Judah. Every time. That's it. That's the presence of visitation coming on you. Jesus Christ is going to come to you like he came to Paul. You will not be capped off at the prophetic. There is an apostolic call. Nay. And when this man speaks, I need you pushing me in the spirit. Things will shake in the heavens. Things will shake in the earth. I hear the Lord saying, I will once again shake the heavens and the earth, and I'll do it through his mouth. Shout. Come on, I need you to keep pushing in the spirit. We move the confusion. Hey, we silence the naysayer. We condemn the tongue risen against him. We command every demonic gateway to be closed in the spirit. New heavens open to him. New mantles fall on him. New gifts manifest through him. New anointing. New all falls on his head. Thou anoint his head with all. And his cup runneth over. 
Someone shout Ola! Stretch your hands to him again. Pray loud as you can. I see a movement in Chicago through this man of God. And the Lord will say by his spirit that he will raise this man to shape even the government of this city. He will extend his authority, his metron, his measure of rule. It will reach, it will reach the Senate, it will reach Congress, it will reach, and favor shall be given to him. And the key of David and the government on his shoulder and doors in politics will open to him. Doors in media journalism shall open to him. In the name of all name, we move everything at the gate. We speak to the everlasting doors. We speak to the ancient gates. We command them to open one. Now, if you know the Bible and you recognize the word of God, foretelling of Christ, being wrongly appropriated to Marcus Rogers there, and by the way, he deleted this video. He had it posted on his YouTube channel, and he deleted this video. He deleted it. And he had had it titled, I received this prophetic word over my life in 2022 from Apostle Jonathan Ferguson. It, it continues to go on. It's like a 15 minute long prophecy. But if you heard what little bit you heard there, first, all the ecstatic utterances, the, the call to all begin to pray together all at the same time, which a lot of times when they're saying that, not always, but when they're saying that they're saying to pray in tongues at the same time. That's not biblical to do that, by the way. When you begin to listen to all of this and, and the praying, the ecstatic utterances that they're doing, and, and he's decreeing things, declaring things, and commanding all these things, that's not biblical prayer. And then he's prophesying all this, these verses in Scripture in the book of Psalms and Isaiah that are attributed to Christ. Those are messianic verses of Scripture. That is not about Marcus Rogers. That is about Christ. That is very problematic, very problematic. And I thought that was an excellent example of some of the things that go on with this. And also, you'll know that the apostles are believed today by those in these circles to be not only restored, but authoritative. And, and so even myself or anyone else even questioning this is unwelcome. And to some degree, it's damning, depending on which apostle you talk to, because if they believe that they have governing authority, then to come to question them or to oppose them in any way like this is to come against God. So speaking of apostles, I thought it would be good to share a personal testimony here um, from a video that I can still access. Back in 2017, when I was still part of the church I attended, my, uh, my family and I attended a a service that evening uh, during the summer, there was a, it was called a summer revival intensive. And there were people that came from all over the United States and they came to be taught for, um, I think, I can't remember if it was like, I think it was a week or week or two weeks. Anyway, they attended classes and I was one of the teachers there, one of the instructors. And at the end of their, uh, that intensive there, there was a service. Eddie James was there. There were several other people there. At this service, this was where the apostle I was under, quote apostle, Ryan Lestrange called me out and began to prophesy over me about being a national prophet. Now I'm going to share that clip and I'm also going to share another one from another self-professing apostle called Jonathan Stidham that at the time was uh, running alongside with Ryan. And I missed this during the service. It was like a three hour, 15, 16 minute long service. And it was one of those services. It was like the whole, pretty much the whole time. It was like a blowout service. If anybody's familiar with that term, 
it was blowout. Like it was constant worship, praying, prophesying, uh, deliverance was taking place. There were people that were saying to cough up demons, you know, all these things that were going on. But he said something too, I thought it was worth sharing, and especially with him as apostle. It was just very sad things that he said. Um, very, it was just very confusing and just not aligning up with scripture. I don't think I have to explain a whole lot, but the first clip I'm going to share with you is the prophetic word I got just as another example of what we're talking about today. down. So yeah, that was the word that was released over me in 2017. That was not the first time, but that was the the big, like the pinnacle um, when I was told that I was the, a national prophet. And I'm not David. Let's just make that clear. He makes the reference to Eliab, which was, the I think, the older brother of, oldest brother of David. I'm not David, but just that whole uh, reference. Okay, so now this other clip I'm going to share with you is from Jonathan Stidham. So I want you to listen to what he said and evaluate it for yourself. prophesied a victorious praise before you could see the victory now listen prophetic utterance with no action is religion which means when somebody prophesies the word of the Lord if it doesn't move your being you cannot enter the promise which means when we prophesy a new level of praise you actually gotta move your body to in order your promise you can literally praise your future into your now Oh no, I heard you, and I don't agree with that. I have a group of people in this room who are about ready to call the future blessings of their life into their present being. I just need you to praise, shout, jump, run, dance, go higher. Come on. Okay, stop for just a moment. Correct me if I'm wrong on this. It's not. It's like works based. In order for you to have the promises of God, you must do this. You must do A, B, and C. Rather than trusting and resting in the work that's already been finished and done by Christ. This is works-based. This is law, by the way. If you will do something, then God can do something. If you call it into existence and you start, you pull your future into the now, then you can do it. If you'll jump and dance and praise and do all of this, this stuff, then... God can do what he needs to do and you can have the promises. That's not what scripture says, my friend. That's not what scripture says. But I want you to hear what he says after this. Your promise was 
was bigger than your God. Because if your God was bigger than your promise, you would still be praising right now. He goes on, he holds out the microphone so people, and he continues to, to go along the, that lines. But then, see, it's it shifted. It's like, well, because you stopped and you didn't continue on, then your promise was bigger than your God. Again, this is not biblical. This is not, nothing is bigger than God. And your amount of shouting and praising and you beating yourself uh, and wait and and waving your arms in the air and beating the air and, and shouting and jumping and doing all these things, you look more like a prophet of Baal that's jumped up on the altar and is cutting themselves and jumping and trying to get the attention of their false God than you do a, a biblical Holy Spirit believer in Christ. Anyone that participates in this, and again, I used to participate in this, your actions do not determine what God can do for you. That's not how that works. And if it is, then we become pagans. We become pagans all over again and that we are under the wrath of God because we don't truly believe in the one true living God. It was just these type of things that I'm just going, oh, I just want to bang my head against the wall listening to this and, and not realizing that I, I was in this service and I don't remember him saying that, but I may have been out of it at that. I think I was probably laying in the floor and probably out of it because of the prophecy that I gotten because this was like a couple, this was a couple minutes after Ryan called me up. So there are others to share of women taking the stage and prophesying with authority. I had a few, but I'm going to share uh, a couple more clips with you, and then we're going to end this and have a little bit of a discussion and talk about why this needs to be discussed and why this is a concern. Now, the clips I want to share with you, this one in particular, this is of Jennifer LeClaire and Jenny Weaver. And this is an example of women taking the stage, having leadership authority, they're prophesying with authority, and they're, they're giving themselves over to ecstatic behavior. Jesus. Jesus. I want to prophesy. I want to prophesy over Jenny. Would you just stay tracked with me? Can I prophesy over you? I'm waiting for your husband. Yes, husband. Come on, husband. And the Lord showed me so clearly. He showed me so plainly. Not only are you going to walk in the breakthrough deliverance mantle, you've already got that. That's already there. But the Lord showed me something like unto a Catherine Coleman mantle coming upon your life. And the Lord says, daughter, I will use your voice. I will use your song, not only to bring forth songs of deliverance, but to bring healing to the nations. Healing to the nations, says the Lord. The Lord says, I have marked you, and I will send you. And do not be afraid of their faces or the naysayers or even the ones who don't understand the peculiar anointing that I have put upon you, says the Lord. For I will open doors that no man can 
mouth shut in the nations. And the Lord says, I will send you even to dark nations with a word that breaks open spiritual atmosphere so that souls may be saved. And the Lord says, many millions of souls will be coming into the kingdom through your ministry. For it's not just singing, it's not just prophesying, it's not just healing, it's not just deliverance. But the Lord says, I put a hunger in your heart for souls, 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 souls. So I plead the blood of Jesus over you, my friend. I plead the blood of Jesus over you. And I say your enemies are my enemies and your enemies are my enemies. And we stand together, united. One heart, one spirit, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, that you protect her, that you keep her, that you amplify her voice in the nations, and that you cause even her enemies to be at peace with her, in Jesus' name. Somebody shout amen. I think it's interesting, too. I find a lot of things interesting, but one of the things I noticed when I was listening to the word I got in 2017, and then listening to this, it's like... You notice that people that are the prominent leaders in those local meetings or if they're having a conference, it's usually the leaders that are called up typically. I mean, they will call up other people, but they'll usually call up the leaders and focus more on them to give prophetic words. And also, it's this, it's kind of a similar thing, like, oh, these people are going to come against you because they're not going to understand you because you're so anointed. And, you know, uh, God's going to take care of you and protect you. And, you know, notice how she's talking about how her enemies are, are Jenny's enemies are her enemies. And um, yeah, it's, it's and then and then Jenny's going to be the one to bring healing to the nations. Um, God's apparently kind of in the periphery of all this. He's in the foreground. He's like in the back seat and, and we're up front and we're the focus. That's what it seems like. It's again, it's all really sad. So there's that. And then there's this hot mess inside a dumpster fire inside a train wreck. I say the best for last. Um, one, I have a Facebook friend that sent me these two videos by a guy named Brian Orm or Orme. I'm, I'm not familiar with him, but he is part of a Bethel network. And there are two interesting clips I'm going to share with you. So let's listen to those. And then we're going to spend a few minutes closing this out and talking about why this is important to discuss. Jesus is always there. That's how I know it's legit. It's just a good litmus test, by the way, if you're encountering what you feel like is cloud of witness or angels for that matter. Mm-hmm. It's just ask them if you're unsure. Do you believe Jesus came in the flesh? Yeah, that's good. And if they don't, they'll disappear and all is good. And if they do, they'll remain. And so this person was there and I didn't know at the time it was a white robe, a blue turban, big beard, bright blue eyes. And I said, Jesus, who is this? And he says, oh, this is Enoch. And I've always been personally fascinated by Enoch, even though there's not a ton talked about in Scripture. And it's like, man, this guy walked with God, and he just didn't even die. He just transported right into heaven. Like, this is this is the way to go. And so I had always been asking God, like, I want to know more about his life and what, what he did in the earth. And how your relationship with him, how special that was. And so I'm standing here, Enoch is there, and he starts talking so fast, I can't understand anything. Mm. And I said, Jesus, I can't I can't keep up. I don't know what he's saying. He says, oh, don't worry, it'll make sense. I said, okay. So then the next night it happens again, I'm praying, Jesus shows up, Enoch there. And just FYI, it wasn't like they were physically there. I was seeing them mm. in the spirits beyond physical sense. And so, and that's just access by faith. And so I'm seeing him again, and he has a, a huge key, probably about that long. 
a little wider than the body. And I said, what is that key for? And he says, do you want the key? And I said, sure, I want the key. And so he shoves it into my chest and I just, my body began to manifest. And I said, Lord, what is this? And he said, ask Enoch. And I said, Enoch, what is, what is the key? And he said, it's the key of trans relocation. Because I'm going to teach you about trans relocation. And so that night when I went to bed, I had an experience where I was in Sacramento at the time by the, with my in-laws. And when I fell asleep, I go into this dream where I'm walking up to a palace in Saudi Arabia. I know it's Saudi Arabia. I just, I knew it in the dream. And when I go to walk up, a guy puts a gun in my chest and I just calmly say, Hey, that's not going to work here because I have an assignment. Yeah. And he unloads the gun and no bullets come out. He collapses on the ground and cries. And then another guy behind him does the same thing. I say the same thing, same response. I walk into this palace. There's a couple hundred uh, Muslim leaders and I begin to preach the gospel. The power of God shows up. People are getting healed. And so I'm coming out of this dream. And it's about 45 second calibration, recalibration, because I'm, I'm feeling the wall. I can see outside the window of the palace and I see the ocean. I'm seeing this as I'm waking up. I'm, I'm touching a stone wall in my dream. I'm touching my in-laws wall and I'm touching my wife. I'm like, are you there? And about 45 seconds, I was in between both. And then I come to and I said, Lord, I, I really felt like I was there. Yeah. And he says, well, you were. And he said, there are, are assignments in the earth. The only way you can get in is this way. And he just. So he continues to go on and to um, expound on that. That was interesting, talking to Enoch. And Enoch shoves a big key into his chest. And then he gets to translocate and do th- do things that it doesn't sound like he's he's testing the spirit and testing against scripture. The next one I want to share with you, I can't even... I can't even say what it is. I'm embarrassed to even use the words. Um, I had debated on whether or not to use it, but I'm going to use it uh, because it's just so absurd that it has to be stated and shared. And to to give you a prime example of what prophecy is not, in case you haven't learned that already from this episode, of what prophecy is not. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'll let Brian Orme, Orme, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing his last name, I'm going to let him tell you the prophecy of what he claims God showed him. Okay, spirit to spirit, which is the beginning, but he'll decode that in a language that we can understand. This is why I love the prophetic. I was in a meeting recently. This is one of the most bizarre words I've ever given. I was really wrestling with whether I was going to give it or not. It was such a bizarre image. So I'm going to meet about 50 prophets from all over the world. And everybody's prophesying over everybody. And there's this one couple I just met. Um, you probably know him, Ian Carroll. Yeah. So if they're from Chicago, they kind of shared this story of a trip they'd went on. And then this guy, Dan McCollum's like, hey, if anyone has a word, just release it over them. So I'm seeing this picture the whole time they're up there. And I'm like, Lord, can someone else give this word? So I get up, I said, I have a word today. And uh, so I'm seeing a butthole with music coming out of it. And I start sharing this stuff. And so the... Yep, that's what you just heard. I'm not repeating it, but he, that's what he just said. So the room is like, the breath is just like, (gasps) (laughs) So my friend Keith Ferrante is like, well, if there were any religious demons, they have left the room now. They are gone. And I said, I don't know if this means anything to you. And I didn't have much more than that. I'm just like, this is what I'm seeing. and And I feel like it has meaning to you. And he's just shaking his head the whole time, smiling. And I said, does it mean something? Oh, yeah, it means something. 
Okay. So I go up after her and I said, so help me understand. Well, how does this have meaning to you? And he says, we're just starting this thing called School of Apostles. And when we talk about apostles, one of the images that we use is they're kind of like, because the apostles are the foundation. It's not a pyramid scheme where everyone pays their dues to the master, I mean the apostle. The apostle's the lowest of the low. Apostles and prophets are the ones everyone else stands on, not the pyramid above. And he says, we, we teach our, our students that apostles are like excrement. They're the lowest, like the intestines, just pushing all the stuff out, paving the way. And he goes, it, this makes complete sense to me. Now, isn't it crazy that God would speak so specifically that that word would probably make no sense to anybody else in that room? And I'm crazy enough to give the word. <laughs> but out of all those people, God would speak so specifically to that one person when he could speak a thousand different ways, but he speaks that one way to that one person. Have you ever heard a prophecy like that? I heard that and I thought, I've I've heard a lot of things, but I have never heard something like that. And Ian Carroll, um, I've looked into him a little bit and I have friends that have sent me stuff about him. He is someone else that teaches things that are completely against scripture, focuses on angels and all these supernatural manifestations and, and encounters and trips to heaven and angelic beings and, and focuses on all that and, and lots of different stuff that is very troubling and problematic. And and I just have to, I just have to say this with, with the note of him saying about apostles, that they are the, the foundation. And this is apparently someone, Ian Carroll apparently believes that apostles still are around today. There's modern day apostles and is um, likening them to the foundation. Well, I would like to pose this question. This is something I've thought of and, and it probably is not an original thought, but it's something I, I considered. I've heard people say before with apostles that, um, you know, with Ephesians 2.20, that you lay a foundation in a building, you only lay a foundation once. You don't continue to lay a foundation. The other thing that I would add to is in that statement is this, is that when you're building a building or a home, what have you, you when you lay the foundation, yes, there's one foundation, but the foundation, before the walls can even be put up, before the building can be built, the foundation must be complete. It seems to me, and maybe it's maybe I'm missing something, but it seems to me that if you are saying today that modern day apostles are still needed and you want to try to skirt around and say, man, nah, they're not like the ones in the first century, but they do have governing authority. So actually they really are kind of like that. And you're using examples like them, like what they did in the scripture to, to the modern day apostles. So you're comparing them equally it would seem that the foundation's not complete because what is the church, is the church even, has it been built in the past 2,000 years? It just does, it does not make sense to me. It does not make sense to me at all now, um, really kind of rationalizing it and reading scripture and having a, a little bit, having a better grasp on it now. So I've shared a lot of clips with you today. It's been a longer podcast and and you may or may not be asking these questions of well, why why discuss this? Well, when I listen to just the hand when I listen to just the handful of these, I notice something. There are areas hearkening to the new apostolic reformation, the hyper charismatic even today that are echoing back to the 2nd century, the 1700s, the 1800s, the Irvingites, back to Montanus. There there's little things there here and there that are echoing back to that. And it's there's there's zeal there, both in the second century and in the in the past several hundred years and then up until today. There's zeal. 
And I applaud zeal. You know, zeal is not a bad thing. Jesus encouraged the church in Revelation to be zealous, that there, that we are to have a, a passion and desire for the Word of God, for God, to for righteousness, for for truth, for for the the things that that are pleasing to God. We are to be zealous for those things. The problem comes when zeal is misguided, and it's an error. And sad to say, in just the clips that we heard today, it seems that people are zealous, but it's misguided. And it's leading people into error, if not false doctrine. Massive numbers and massive popularity is um, touted in these movements, even today, that where people have said, well, you know, those that aren't in the charismatic uh, movement, they're just jealous and, and they don't, you know, we have, the, we have greater movements, we have better worship, we have bigger churches. And sometimes people tend to think, well, because people have more followers on social media, they have bigger churches, they have more popular worship, they have massive numbers, they have all these things going for them. Some people make the false equivalence that that means that God's approval or validation is on that. And that's not what that means at all. Big numbers do not mean that that's God's approval, the stamp of approval, and it does not mean that God's in the midst of that. There could be strong delusion going on. There could be a massive error that's going on because of false teaching. People are having yielding over to vain imaginations. They're yielding over to fleshly carnal desires. They're not wanting to be biblically discipled. They don't want to address sin in their lives. They don't want to repent. They don't want to understand what it means to be a true disciple of Christ and to walk in sanctification and to be under the authority of the word of God and be in a biblically sound church. And they're always looking for that next high, that next thing that the conference gives or this leader gives or this anointing or whatever they can get. Big numbers don't mean anything. That does not mean that God approves of what's going on. You know, one thing that I began to to consider when I was thinking about this topic is we see people throughout the ages that lay claim and credit to the Holy Spirit saying something. And I just want to reiterate that it's a big deal to say that God is saying something through you. I think that that has really been diminished. The reverence towards God is gone when saying something like that. And people say, oh, I just missed it. It's okay. I'm practicing hearing the voice of God. You're not going to find that in scripture. There's nowhere in there where it tells us to practice hearing the voice of God to tune into a specific frequency, to make sure that we're hearing things the right way, or that today we're under the dispensation of grace. And so people can miss it today, there can be fallible prophets. And just because they're fallible doesn't mean they're false, right? I mean, they can they can miss it because we're under grace, man, come on, we're under grace. And they're fallible. Well, the Old Testament prophets were fallible, they were sinful men in need of a savior. You're going to sit there and tell me because how the Holy Spirit operated in them differently and didn't fully abide in them like he does in the New Testament believers, that he wasn't operating in them to where they had to be 100% accurate, and that's changed somehow. So we're going to give a a mulligan, I guess. I don't do golf, but we're going to give a mulligan to somebody. Ah, it's okay. You know, they missed it. They're still growing. They're still learning. Rather than teaching them the importance of reverencing God and and to understand, when you say you speak for God, you need to understand that the the standards in Scripture have not changed. They have not changed between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And saying that you are the Holy Spirit, that you're speaking for the Holy Spirit, let alone that you are the Holy Spirit, these are dangerous things. These are things that we should not take lightly. 
And we most certainly should not take lightly when someone says they are the Holy Spirit. That's heretical talk. One could draw the conclusions that Montanism never died. There are echoes of it today. And there are people that claim that they have revelation that they're getting even today and that it has authority. And the question is, if you're saying that God said something and we don't listen to it, are we not disobeying God? If you're saying that what you're saying could be fallible and that you could miss it, how do we know what to obey and what not to obey? Because when God speaks, it's always authoritative. I've know, I know I've said this before in, in other times, in other episodes, but it's worth repeating because God speaking is always with authority. There are people who died for the gospel. And this is the more sure word of prophecy. This is what we are to be prophesying. If you want to prophesy, the thing that you will be prophesying with accuracy and without fail is the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God. We are all, quote, you know, prophets in a way that we are proclaiming and prophesying the gospel of Jesus Christ as believers. And there are people that are bringing these new revelations. And we see that the apostles, they gave their life for this more sure word of prophecy. 11 of the 12 apostles, with the exception of Judas, who hung himself, the other 11 out of 12 apostles, they were martyred. They were martyred for the sake of the gospel. John the Revelator was the only one who lived to old age, and he was persecuted. There are accounts of him being boiled in oil, and then he was sent to the Isle of Patmos, began exiled there because he didn't die. He was miraculously um, saved by God. He was delivered from the, the torture of the bo- the, being boiled in oil, and so he was exiled to Patmos. He was the only one that lived to an old age. The rest of them were martyred for the sake of Christ. Are people today that are saying that God told them something, are they, and laying claim to divine revelation, are they willing to stake their lives on it? That's one of the things that ha- I've really been thinking about. I would not stake my life on anything written in my journal. Not one thing. I would not give my life for anything that's in, in any of my journals. And I've had people write to me, and they don't like the things I'm saying, and it's okay. Just take it back to Scripture, take it back to scripture. That's where you need to go back to. You don't not, not only just to pray about it, you don't need to take it to the Lord. And that and when I say that, that's almost like a euphemism that people say, well, just take it to the Lord. They don't really want you to test it and take it to the Lord. They want you to listen to what they have to say. And if you don't take it at face value, they will demonize you and call you all sorts of names. And they'll say you don't have the Holy Spirit. Nine times out of 10, that's how that works. And that, that movement when people say that take things back to scripture. There is nothing in my journal that I would say, yep, I would die for that message. I would give my life to continue to say such things because I cannot verify that that is God speaking. But when I read scripture, I am, can, I am certain that that is God speaking. That is his word. It is infallible, it is inerrant, and it is His Word, and it guides us and instructs us, and the Holy Spirit leads us into all the truth of His Word. And so we need to stand upon that, and we need to consider, I mean, my goodness, even when you read Hebrews 11, the latter part of Hebrews 11, when you read it, because a lot of times the, the people will stop at the, the widows that, re, that got their, um, their dead children returned to them, but it goes on to talk about prophets, the Old Testament prophets, some were sawn in two, that was Isaiah. There were other prophets that were tortured and beaten and persecuted, and they were killed because they were ministering the gospel in the Old Testament. 
And yes, they were ministering the gospel. If you read the New Testament, you will find verses here and there that actually call it the gospel that was talked about in the Old Testament through the prophets. They were prophesying and foretelling and forthtelling of the Messiah. And their message was always to repent and believe. Turn back to God. Turn back to God and repent from your ways and trust in God. And the message has not changed. And so I would encourage you to stay in the Word of God. I'm actually going to share a link um, at the in this episode as well. I'm reading an article that I found on a website called The Critical Issues Commentary by Pastor Bob DeWay. And I think you might find this article. It's from August of 2006. It's called The Prophetic Calling of Every Believer. I'm going to post the link to that. I want you to read that article and feel free to leave some comments. Tell me what you think about it. I'm reading through it and it's been helpful so far to put things in biblical perspective, even more so. I hope that you've gotten something out of this today. I hope that this this episode has been helpful to you. It's been a long one. I apologize. At any rate, thanks for sticking with me today. And until next week, when we look at another topic and dive into scripture, I hope that you have a blessed week and I hope you're blessed today by the truth of God's word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.